Yo kids, this is Nick the Tooth, and today I am joined by my co-host and publisher of the Infinite World magazine, Winston Ward. Yo everybody, welcome to another episode of the Infinite Worlds podcast. I am Winston Ward, and with me as always is my co-host, Nick the Tooth. What's going on, Nick? What up? What's going on, man? How are you doing? Hi, hey, uh, the big question is... How is a uh, Colorado winter treating you so far? Big change from Atlanta, right? Yeah, it's mostly because the cold that I've experienced has been a little earlier in the year. But honestly, I was jogging this past week in a t-shirt. So, you know, it hasn't been too brutal yet. It's snowed here already three or four or five times already this year. So I know we're in for it. You know what I mean? But I don't drive anywhere. So when it snows, I couldn't care less. I just stand in my window and look outside in the snowy street. I have to walk, oh, the, I have to walk the dogs, you know, but I just put on a bunch of layers. You're like in downtown Denver, right? Yeah, downtown, downtown. I'm in the most downtown part of the city, like tourist destination. The tourism information center is down in my building. Oh, that's so rad. Hey, man, before we get any further, I want to congratulate you on a distribution deal. We've been talking about this for a long time. Congratulations, dude. I know this is like the culmination of a lot of work and a lot of just putting your head down and having faith when I'm sure, you know, at times you were probably like, holy shit, this is never going to happen. Man, I thank you so much. Thank you so much. Like I just found out probably two weeks ago or almost two weeks ago. Diamond distributors are the largest comic distributor in the country. I had been talking with them for quite a while and they finally pulled the trigger and were like, yeah, we want to distribute your magazine. Actually, today, on top of recording, this is our second episode we're recording today. Uh, We just finished the Godzilla episode and we're recording another. But also in the background today, I've been putting the finishing touches on uh, issue six, which I have to send to print tomorrow, and uh, putting together an advertisement for the previews catalog, which is the Diamond Distributors catalog they send out to all the shops that they do business with. We're taking out a big full page expensive ad in the magazines. Hopefully it comes back to us. We'll see. Uh, That's awesome, man. How exciting is that, man? It's so freaking rad. I've been doing Infinite Worlds as my only job for about six months now. And Mm -hmm. it's been scary. Honestly, it's not really been like the big moneymaker. It's enough so that I can get by. You know, I got lucky when I moved to a relatively inexpensive place. And my wife found a job really quickly and she's doing all right. So we got really lucky in that regard. But it still hasn't been like a... I sold my car because I didn't want to pay the monthly payment and the parking spot cost and the insurance, you know, since I live in downtown. And that's like been one of the reasons I you know, was able to get by. But hopefully, you know, this deal goes through. I make a little more money. I can b- buy a car again, uh, maybe a truck since we're up here in the mountains. It's the next step. You know what I mean? Hopefully we'll be heavy metal in 15 years. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love we, it. We didn't actually it. catch up on the episode we just recorded, the Godzilla episode. This is the same day as that episode. So if you listen to that episode and you're just now listening to this episode, it's Monday, November 30th. As we were Bro, it's sci-fi, this. man. It all blurs together. Exactly, that's what, exactly. That's what we, happens in the simulation, right? <laughs> uh, I was reading some reviews. Somebody was talking about how we spend too much time talking about our lives before we get to the meat of the episode. But I think they're wrong about that. I've thought about it a lot. I really think it's better for posterity so that every episode has some sort of context, you know, historical context. Because, you know, right now you hear the episode and it's recorded two weeks ago and you're like, yeah, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic. I know that. But three years from now, when you listen to that episode, you'll be like, oh, shit, that's right. There was a pandemic. and They were, you know, stuck inside. 
Oh, for sure. No doubt. And, you know, there was no election and everything. So I think it's important that we talk about what's going on with ourselves. Because, you know, even it's not national news of what's going on in our lives, but I'm sure our fans down the line will be like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, I, I think that what's for me with just being such a podcast listener, this is like, hey, this is a hangout time. Totally. When you come chill and you want to listen to Infinite Worlds podcast, you're chilling with us. Absolutely. Right. And we're all catching up. And yeah, that's what I love. I love that about podcasts, man. It's just so informal and just, you know, shoot from the hip. It's, it's my favorite thing, man. Okay. So we've got informal shoot from the hip stuff today for sure. <laughs> yeah, we do. This is actually probably going to be one of my favorite because we're doing book recommendations. Yeah, and- I'm, ex- I'm excited about this one. So we're just going to spend a few minutes talking about five books each from science fiction history, some modern, some classic. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Yeah, no, I'll go first, man. I'll go. We can go. You know, what we can do is we can go back and forth, and we'll just kind of be. You know, this is that's what how, we're going to do. From the hip, we're shooting. We we thought of no structure <laughs> before we before we started. Dude, I, like I said, man, I the podcasts that I listen to, they're so informal that it's just. I know, like, and one of my buddies is. Uh, He's actually written for, I've talked about him before, but Duncan Trussell, and he's got a, he's a comedian and he's written for the latest uh, heavy metal iteration with Grant Morrison. But dude, his podcasts are just like, what up? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And it's just one of the most popular podcasts. So um, yeah, I love it. So anyways, I let's start it. Uh, everybody buckle up. We are going into book recommendations right now. All right. So my first book, this was, you know, what's crazy about talking about like sci-fi books is I'm always down on myself because I'm like, man, I just don't read enough. You know, needless to say, I'm always reading at any one time, three or four books at a time, but I'm always like, I should be reading more hours of the day. But then I was kind of looking back and I was like, man, I have so many sci-fi books to choose from. It's so difficult. Right. I mean, I think one of the hardest things in the world. I'm going to run a sci-fi magazine. I'm supposed to know all these books. And you know, there are a hundred thousand sci-fi novels, guys. There's no way I'm going to read them all. So I'm just trying my best to choose the next one wisely, I guess. But you can't read them all, man. I think you read more of the classics than I read. I think, and I've read a lot just over the years, but I'm always, if there's a new sci-fi book that gets any kind of heat on it, I'm like, oh, I'm all over it. I'm like, okay, let me check that thing out. Like one of our listeners was uh, was recommending the Kim Stanley Robinson's The Mars Trilogy. And I haven't read it yet. And I'm like, you know, I kind of started it and just to see how the writing was and it was great okay and so i think i'm gonna i'm gonna jump into that next but right now i'm gonna talk about for my first book i'm gonna talk about a classic and that is stranger in a strange land from 1961 by robert heinlein great place to start yeah i you know i think one of the things that'll come out in uh in my tastes or that i I like weird shit you know the more psychedelic and trippy the more I get off on it, you know? And so that's kind of the theme of everything that I that I dig. And Stranger in a Strange Land is definitely one of the craziest books, especially when you take it in the context of when it was written. And I, and I think any book, it, hey, it goes back to your point about the talking about the, the podcast and, you know, just kind of updating everybody on just what we're doing and us catching up right. is, you know, you have to have context to understand what you're listening to or what you're reading. And so in 1961, you know, America was coming out of, you know, this, I wouldn't say it was a golden age, but it was definitely the way America like 
to portray itself was everything was leave it to beaver and hunky dory and you know 1950s and everything's fine and here's our nuclear family and the veneer of success yeah the veneer of just everything being perfect and this is the way it needs to look and that kind of shit man kind of you know held all the way until the the 90s even you know even now you have some people that cling to that those like no we need a family needs to look like that well Heinlein came out with stranger in a strange land and it's about this uh guy who comes to earth and he's from mars and so he was raised on mars he's a human being raised on yeah. mars yeah, human being raised on Mars, but he's got superior intellect. He's got psychic abilities. And it's just like kind of a fish out of water story to where he starts trying to understand like really American, but, you know, human society. This guy is like a, a I would say like a super type man right. where, you know, he's good looking. He's tall. He's this is the way I envision him. And he's smart. He's got psychic, like I said, psychic abilities. And so he doesn't understand things like what is this what is religion what is god what he doesn't understand jealousy why are are people jealous what is war why is it and so heinlein is using this guy this fish out of water to really like shine a light on all of these norms within American society. I remember reading that when I was a teenager and I was like, oh, this is freaking cool. You know, and that just that whole beat hippie generation. And this is before then too, but challenging all that. So uh, Heinlein gets talked about a lot. I mean, he's one of the greatest science fiction writers of the 20th century for sure, one of the most prolific, but he um, gets talked about a lot for kind of siding with fascists because of Starship Troopers. Yeah, the sort of fascistic take of Starship Troopers, which I don't quite take that way. I think it's just a look at the world through a military perspective. He was in the military. But when people tell me that they think that Robert Heinlein was a fascist, I'm like, oh, yeah, the guy who wrote Stranger in a Strange Land is a fascist? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. And so this guy kind of starts a cult in which, you know, he's having sex with all these different people and just all he is. And, and you're right. Heinlein, you know, for people to say that, you kind of think, well, he must have been like, you know, everything according to all these rules. He he just blew that out of the water with Stranger in a Strange Land. Absolutely. And, uh, and so I, I, I really recommend this book because, again, in the context of when it was written, which you got to think he was writing it at the end of, of the 50s, right? It didn't, it yeah. got published in 61. So he was probably writing it right at the end of the 50s. I mean, that was a crazy time to be, uh, you know, presaging, you know, what was about to happen with Absolutely. the whole hippie, hippie culture. Once again, you know, sexual revolution. Fiction, once again, science fiction setting the course for the history to play out. And, so did uh, you like it? Did you like the book? Oh, absolutely. I haven't read it in years. I read it when I was a teenager, but I absolutely loved it, man. I haven't read it in a long time, but I thought I thought I, I grokked it. <laughs> and it, dude, he he invented the word grok. I still I use that all the time. Yeah, you know yeah. where it, the understanding of something it was rad. It's a, it's a third eye opening book. I use that term third eye in sort of a um, less than literal sense. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people say woke these days, but I don't think of it that way either. But just throwing off the norms that are put on you and living your life the way it should be lived and not just how somebody else it should be. Yeah. So, so this book was, I think the book was banned at some point and, you know, it, it created a big freaking stir, you know, for a sci-fi book, especially. Definitely recommend. That's, that's first on my list. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, you know what? Since you recommended that one first, I'll also recommend a classic and one that has very similar themes to it. 
I'm going to recommend The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin. Gwen is one of my favorite writers ever. Well, I always say this, but I think of her as being kind of like the smartest person in a room full of really, really smart people. This particular book is part of her Hainish cycle. And the Hainish cycle is the series of books where it's far in the human future and the human race is just shown to be one of many other humanoid races in the universe, in the galaxy. And there are different civilizations on different planets that have different societies. And what she does with the series is uses them to kind of play with some of the themes that, that our lives deal with. And different things happen in different parts of the Hainish cycle. The Dispossessed is kind of like a preface to the Hainish cycle because it talks about this physicist who makes faster than light speed travel possible eventually, which leads to all these planets, you know, communicating with each other readily. But the story is about a planet and a moon. And on the planet, there is a society that is very much like American society. Uh, this book, by the way, came out in the 70s, 1974. And it's very much like the capitalistic, excessive society of America that has a lot of decadence, but also a lot of division in class. And on this planet, years in the past, a uh, revolutionary split off from that and tried to start a more communist, socialist type society and was basically exiled to the moon, which is a pretty hostile place. But her and her followers end up on the moon and they start a society which is basically entirely communistic, 100% communistic, where there is no currency, where you get what you need because you're a citizen and you do the work that you're able to do that you can. And the physicist is sent from this moon world to the main world as like an emissary. He's the first person of intellectual note that the moon, this moon is produced. And he ends up living on the main world again. And he's been brought up in this totally communist society and has a whole lot of trouble promoting his ideas on physics, knowing how to play politics. And the whole book is sort of a study of how the two ideas of libertarianism and communism or socialism kind of like butt heads with one another. And which is the moral one and which is the correct one. And there's no definitive answer for those questions in this book. So it's sort of like the anti Ayn Rand in a way. But it's really beautifully written. It's really interesting. Le Guin's books are always fantastic. They're always kind of muted and thoughtful. But that's something I like in a book from time to time. No huge action sequences or anything like that. So No, that's awesome. I think I just vomited in my mouth when you mentioned Anne Rand. So. Yeah, I mean, she's, <laughs> she definitely leaves a bad taste in my mouth as well. But this is, like, Ursula K. Le Guin is like the very, very articulate, thoughtful, and spirit-invoking answer to the monosyllabic dunce of a question that Ayn Rand asked. So I highly recommend this. It's the next step up in the philosophical pyramid. So definitely give it a try. Lots of her books in the Hainish cycle are amazing, but this one I think is a great preface to those. Oh, that's so rad. That's so rad. I'm going to read that, man. That sounds awesome. My, um, I'm going to follow that one up, Winston, with a book by... Ursula K. Le Guin. Oh, great. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's it really, I think she's got to be one of the greatest sci-fi. I mean, we already know that. I mean, she, she might be, yeah, it's hard to say the greatest, but man, she brought it, right? Yes. And for me, my, my favorite book of hers is uh, The Lab of Heaven uh, in 1971. Have you read that one? That one is one I have not read. I actually just bought a copy of it and it's my next book to read. I mean, I am familiar with the premise, but I actually haven't read it, so... Oh, man, it's such a good one, dude. It's so cool. There's a couple of reasons that I really like it. It's the premise of it is is very simplistic where you have a uh, the protagonist um, 
his name is George and he has, when he dreams, he can um, alter reality. And so he is trying to, when we first meet him, he is like using drugs to keep himself from dreaming because it's just, it's too disconcerting for him. Like he has a dream and things change and it's just horrifying for him. And he later starts to, in the book, he starts to embrace it. And it's just an exploration. It's, it's what I really like about the book is that I love Taoism and the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu is like one of my favorite books ever written. I absolutely love it. And a lot of it, uh, the Tao Te Ching deals with one of my favorite topics, which is uh, Mushin mind, which is mind without mind. And so she incorporates like Taoism throughout the book. And the book is actually based on her her translation, which it turns out was a bad translation, but of a, uh, I think it was uh, Lao Tzu's students' um, writings. And so ancient writings, and it was about the love of heaven. Let me pull it up, what her translation was. Her, her translation is this, to let understanding stop at what cannot be understood is a high attainment. Those who cannot do it will be destroyed on the lab of heaven. So it turns out later, years later, she she learned that her translation was wrong because there were no laths in China at this point. And, uh, but she, you know, the translation that she gave is still pretty cool. And that's what informed the book title. But she uses Taoism throughout the book, dealing with, you know, what is, that's what I love about the Tao teaching is it deals with, you know, our perception of reality versus what is really reality. And, and so it just inform it's like this thread throughout the book, but it's really cool cool because this um this dude george so he starts to he he goes and sees like a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist starts helping him and saying well why don't you see if you can end racism and so he has a dream in which everybody has gray skin and so there is no more racism it's eliminated uh and then when there he the next the next issue is okay so how do we deal with overpopulation let's solve that problem there's way too many people where so an insane pandemic comes up and just kills most of the human race Okay. And then the third one that the the third, yeah. So now you know why it's kind of like this crazy horror type situation with this guy. And then the, the, the next one is how do we deal with, uh, let's create world peace. And so he wants, so he dreams about world peace. What happens? There's an alien invasion. And so all the countries of the world have to now bind together and fight this alien invasion. But then like uh, a common enemy. Right. Exactly. Yeah, we talked about how she likes to play with these philosophical ideas in her stories, and this is just a great, more great examples of that style of writing. Ah, it's so cool, so cool. So yeah, I really recommend that one. That's one of my uh, one of my all time favorite books, and and it's a good, easy read too. All right, next up for me, I'm going to do The Stars, My Destination by Alfred Bester. So this book came out in 1956. It was originally titled Tiger Tiger. The English print of it. He's a British writer. The English print of it is titled Tiger, Tiger. And then when it was sold in the US, it was The Star is My Destination. And this story follows a demented, low education, violent criminal who survives a spaceship wreck and later learns how to do something called jaunting, which is basically teleporting. And 
He is like a really bad guy. He's all he cares about is finding revenge on the people who didn't rescue him when he was in this spaceship wreck. And it's about how this guy, his name is Gulliver Foyle, called Gully Foyle throughout the book, learns to jaunt, that is to teleport. And he becomes the best in the world at it, is much better than the other people that are able to do it. And because of this, starts gaining more and more power. And he's a really terrible guy. He's a criminal. He rapes a girl in a scene. But as the story continues, he starts understanding how bad of a guy he is and the things, the power that he's been given and how he's using it just for revenge. And it's a full circle. By the end of the story, he looks back on things that he had done earlier in the story and starts questioning who he was and what he's become. Really, it's a story about individual responsibility and our responsibility in terms of our society and what we should be doing and how we should be behaving. Oh, wow. So reflective of that, uh, of his power. So if you have that kind of power, yeah, yeah. It's not quite like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility thing. It's just more like as he becomes more powerful, he just sort of evolves as a person and then realizes that once he's this new point that he just sees things so much differently than he did when he was just out for revenge. And just all, all he cared about was himself. You know, I, I think I think that's an interesting topic right there. It's I've read a few studies and and just, you know, being older, I've seen the the effect on people when they do attain success and power and how it does change them. Not all the time for the better. Yeah, mostly and not for the better. Mostly not for the better. And they've actually done studies that have shown that the brain, the structure of the brain changes when someone gains power. They have less empathy. They're less able to feel empathetic. And so they justify the shit that they do or even justify their, you know, how they're above people. It's fucking, it's fascinating, right? I think individual responsibility is a, uh, a really important thing that people don't discuss a lot. We just were talking about libertarianism versus socialism with my last thing there. And those aren't quite the topics of this book, but your own morality being in your hands is a big theme. And I think that is something that people could really use a heavy dose of a lot of the time to, you know, put things into perspective. This book also is thought of as being a prototype for cyberpunk in some ways. I think that's a bit of a hard sell, but there's a recent edition that came out maybe 15 or 20 years ago where Neil Gaiman is that he writes the introduction and he makes that argument. It's a pretty convincing argument. You know, it was written a good 25 years before the first cyberpunk book that we, you know, you think of those books from the eighties. Also, I think it has one of the coolest random scenes at the end. And I don't want to give too much of that away, but there's about a two page scene at the end where a uh, robotic bartender malfunctions and starts dropping some really heavy philosophy. It's only two pages long. None of the philosophy is hard to follow. It blows your rig off a little bit. So the whole book is fantastic, but then it really delivers the chef's kiss in the last couple of pages there. So uh, The Star is My Destination by Alfred Bester, 1955, I think. 56. That's that's cool, man. That 56 too. That's wild. That's crazy. Well, I'm going to bring my next recommendation. I'm going to bring it up to a very, very recent book in 2016. It's called The Power by Naomi Alderman. And um, have you heard of The Power? Yeah, I've uh, I've had the plot explained to me uh, in depth uh, by someone who had just finished reading it. So uh, I haven't read it yet, but it sounds extremely awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really, really cool book. And it's a, uh, the book is, the, the basic premise is that women gain the power to shock the shit out of people. It becomes like a superpower 
where they're able to disable and even kill men. And so now you have, it really is a reflection on society on how the physical power of men has shaped all of our institutions. Absolutely. It has shaped everything, interactions, everything. I've heard it said that, you know, that, you know, men, men often wonder if a woman likes us or women often wonder if a man's going to kill us, right? right? When they first meet them. I mean, yep. it's just, and so it takes that out of the equation and it flips the script. And so the whole book is an examination of, you know, that power differential. And I, th I thought it was just a really, really great read. Um, I didn't think the end was that great, but you know, go ahead. I know a lot of like, there are going to be some listeners who are going to be made really uncomfortable by this idea that women suddenly gain the power to physically disable men. But if you are one of those people, consider that you're perfectly comfortable with it being the other way around. You know, you're, yeah. you're you have no problem or you're not questioning the situation where men have the power to disable women. And that's the way it's always been. So if that doesn't make you uncomfortable, then this other situation, just give, just check in with yourself about why it's making you uncomfortable, you know? And yeah. I th obviously, I think that's what the intent of a book like this. And um, you said it came I, I can I can tell you, having raised a daughter, it's something that's, it becomes, you become acutely aware of this very issue when every time your daughter goes out on a date, you know? I believe it. It's just like, phew. Yeah. So it was great. In that respect, I loved it. So definitely a high on the recommend. Really fun read. What's the name of the author um, again? Naomi Alderman. Okay. And that came out in 2016, you said? Yep. Yep. Good book. Great book. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay. My next one is a book. Again, I, you know, I do all these classics, guys. Sorry. I'm pretty much all of my books are old. Um, but the next book I'm going to recommend is a little, a little fun kind of sci-fi one-off novel called A Plague of Pythons by Frederick Pohl. I think of Pohl as being one of the more underrated sci-fi writers of the 20th century. Most of the stuff I've read by him has been pretty on point. This book is a kind of a strange plot. I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler because the book starts with sort of a cold opening where you don't quite know what's going on, but I'm going to spoil that for you if you start to read it. But basically what happens is this device is invented that you could put on like a crown and it allows you to basically shift your mind into a surrogate body. And that could be literally any human being on all of earth. You could basically take over and control anybody in the world and have them do anything you want. And when that happens, the small group of people who have access to this technology become basically the ruling class and mass murder tons and tons and tons of people, like have people ritually kill themselves, enslave tons of them and work them to death. Like Dude, they, that's crazy. They end up forming like a little society where they're basically living like kings and queens in Hawaii. The book is about a character who's trapped. The mind control keeps coming back and forcing his actions at all these different times. And he ends up being against his will, traveling to Hawaii to become a slave for these people. It's only, you know, 200 pages, 225 pages long, something like that. Not a particularly long book, but very graphic and kind of shocking in a lot of ways. And I'll tell you, it took me by surprise when I first read it. If you want like, it's like a fun kind of thrilling book, I recommend this one. It's called A Plague of Pythons. It came out in uh, 1965 by Frederick Pohl. Yeah, that sounds good, man. That sounds like a good one also. I want to check that out. Dude, we got to make sure that we put all these books in the show notes for the uh, podcast. Good idea, so good idea. check them out. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm already going, okay, what did Winston, what's the second yeah. book that he recommended? I'll put them in the show notes. I'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> okay, for sure. Um, well, you know what? That kind of leads into my next book uh, based on the readability. And I and I think readability is something that is is... is 
you know, sometimes I like a very challenging book, like a Cormac McCarthy book, and I like to be challenged. But sometimes I just like a book where I'm just like flying through it and it's fun and it's a popcorn read and things come out of you where you're not expecting them. Of course, I don't. I And, and I say that I want read it like I like that readability, but then I do like things to be unexpected. And that is the next book that I'm going to recommend it is perhaps the craziest sci-fi book I've ever read. And it's called The Man Who Folded Himself. Okay, um, yeah. In it from 1973. And it was written by David Drawled. And uh, the only thing I don't like about this book is that he updated it in like 2003. And I didn't read it until like 2000, probably 10. And so it had, it's it, like I said, it's a 1973 book. But um, so the book features, um, the basic gist of the book is there's a kid who does, who's really kind of poor and his uncle comes and visits him and gives him an inheritance. And he, what he really gets is the ability to travel through time. And it is maybe one of the most readable books I've ever read for some reason. I probably read it 10 times and it completely it's it's humming along really fun everything you would think are you going to get money what are you going to get and then it completely fucking goes off the rails and it is the crazy i was just sitting there looking at the book going did that just happen did that really just happen and i'm not going to spoil it for you but it is it's one of my favorite things to recommend to people because they come back like with this eyes wide like Dude, what the hell was that? Dude, super fun, super cool. It's it's you've never seen a take like this with uh with uh, time travel. So definitely a big recommend on that one. This was a book I'd heard of before, uh, and it comes up from time to time when I look at lists of time travel. And I visited the wiki page in preparation for this when you you turned you showed me your list. It looks super interesting. This book is super short too. It's only 148 pages. So you could read this book in like a weekend. So oh, yeah. um, I, oh, I will yeah. plan on it doing that. It's not challenging. Yeah, you're going to love it. I will plan on doing that in a weekend coming. I haven't read this one, but it got nominated for Hugo Award and uh, Nebula Award. So, uh, you know, this was a kind of a heavy hitter at the time, mid-70s, 1973. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. All right. Yeah. You'll dig it. You'll All dig right. it the most. All right. My next one is Kindred by Octavia Butler. Mm. And uh, we talked about time travel. So this is going to be, I'm going to move on to a time travel book to go next. And this one also came out in the 70s, 1979. And this is the story of a modern black woman, modern by 1979 standards, living in an apartment with her boyfriend who's white. And one day, completely inexplicably, she is transported back to the antebellum South. I think it's actually uh, Maryland. But she basically is transported back to slave times and is there with all of her full understanding of 1979 and, and is because of the color of skin immediately made a slave. It's about the relationship she forms with the boy. When she goes back the first time, she encounters a little boy and befriends him a little bit. And then she ends up transporting back to 1979 for a short time, then back to the same time period. But a few years later, the boy's a little older. And this keeps happening to her, transferring between 1979 and her apartment and this slave plantation. Every time it's just a few years later, eventually the people there at that slave plantation catch on. She's a time traveler. And they still, no matter what knowledge she brings, no matter uh, how much she tries to befriend them, no matter how much she shows them that she really is some sort of time traveler, she's still treated like a slave and treated like 
a possession and an object, both by being a woman and by being black. Octavia Butler basically broke the race wall down in science fiction. Like science fiction was more or less a white dominated genre through the first part of the 20th century for most of the 20th century. And Octavia Butler was really the first writer to come along and break down those barriers. Not all of her books are focused on race, but this one does. And that's why I chose it because I think it's probably the most important of her books because it gives you a lot of perspective, especially if you are a white man. I really, really recommend this book because it really gives you a perspective for both sides of things. Also, Octavia Butler is a breeze to read. Her writing is just so... It's like, I, want, I don't want to say popcorn writing, but it is some of the most digestible writing you're going to get. It's also a lot of fun, a lot of action. Lot, like you don't know what to expect in this book. You have no idea what's going to happen next. Keeps you on the edge of your seat for sure. So that's Kindred by Octavia E. Butler, 1979. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, I think there's kind of a, another underlying theme here in that we have a lot of female writers. Hmm. Um, and my next book is by the great... Margaret Atwood. I saved this one for last because it is by far outside of Dune. It's probably my top three uh, sci-fi books and it's called Orcs and Crate. And she, it's a trilogy. It's a trilogy. And she wrote the first one in 2003. Have you read them? I've read Orcs and Crake. Uh, I, I, I haven't read the rest of the Mad Adam trilogy, although I do oh want to gosh. do that. My wife and I are fanatics for Orcs and Crake. I mean, we both probably have read Orcs and Crake probably 10 times. My, my wife just finished it like maybe two months ago. So oh, what did she think? Oh, she loved it. She absolutely loved it. Yeah, this is, yeah, this one is just, it's a dystopian, you know, end of the world uh, thing where we catch up. The book starts with a character called Snowman and he, it's just, it's, Funny, it, you know, I, I a long time ago in a writing workshop, the, uh, we talked about how a really, really great book will make you laugh, it'll cry, it'll make you angry, it'll make you sad, and this book does all of that. It's funny. It's oh, it's so freaking good, and the characters are are just good, and there's parts of it that are just so sad, and there's yeah. And so we, we catch up with him at the end of the world and we're, we kind of jump back and forth between, you know, what happened um, to him, what happened to the world, what brought about the end of everything, and then how he's dealing with, you know, just being a, almost alone with these weird, I don't want to give away too much, but how he's away too much, but these weird creatures. Go ahead, chime in because you read it. Because it's kind of, mo- it's sort of a modern book. So when you're spoiling books from the 50s, that's one thing. One of the reasons I like that book a lot is because Margaret Atwood was already a legendary, well-established writer. You know, she wrote The Handmaid's Tale, which, you know, is like the series now and was already, you know, super well-respected. And she took on this project of writing this dystopian sci-fi story with a ton of modern themes, genetics, genetic engineering and modification is a big theme in this book. It really surprised me. I didn't read it until 2008 or nine. So it wasn't right when it was written, but I was surprised to learn that she had written something with such a technological lean to it. At the end of The Handmaid's Tale, spoiler alert, the events of The Handmaid's Tale are being viewed retrospectively by a group of scientific thinkers in the distant future who are examining the journal of Offred and Mm. um, trying to understand the history of that period of world history. So all of the struggles that that character was going through were just set against the backdrop of the long curve of history. And in a way, that's kind of what happens in Orcs and Crake as well, through the character Snowman, where he's looking back 
at all of these things that happened and what led to the decline of society and with characters in there too. You know, obviously it's not just. No, it's, dude, it's so good. It's it's hard to even describe this book. But I thought, I think one of the interesting uh, tidbits on this book is that she really like fought back against it being classified as sci-fi. And people who are sci-fi lovers were like, no, it's sci-fi. And then finally, after, you know, years, she relented and go, yeah, it's kind of sci-fi. Her, her feeling was, no, all of these things in here could happen. And it's like, okay, well, so what? That's sci-fi, you know? It doesn't have to be fantastical. There's this big schism in science fiction, I think, mostly with the baby boomer generation, where they didn't, like, there was science fiction, then there was sci-fi, then there was capital SF, you know, and uh, also speculative fiction. And, you know, people who thought of it this way shunned people who thought of it that way and labeled it this way and labeled it that way. I uh, don't think on those terms at all. I think science fiction is like an umbrella term that includes a lot of other genres, including speculative fiction and hard sci-fi and cyberpunk and time travel. Lots of other stories. And fantasy and sci fantasy. I agree. And science, totally. and science fiction fantasy, absolutely. Like Star Wars. I obviously yeah. we talked about Star Wars first, you know. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so yes, absolutely. But I do think it has a pretty hard edge sci sci fi feel to me, orcs and crazy. Totally. I mean, yeah. And not to disagree with Mark. I mean, if she came around and changed her mind, not to disagree with her, but she's not anywhere near the only sci fi writer who's like, I'm not a sci fi writer. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, <laughs> right. labels hurt careers. You know what I mean? And that's the. And I, I think that's what it was. I think that that she came out of that time period where where sci fi was a you know, it would hurt your career and right. that no longer exists. I don't think so. Sci-fi, yeah, exactly. I think sci-fi is king now. You know? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So last one, I guess, after Orcs and Crake, and this is another classic, but sort of a modern classic. I know this is going to be controversial because let's hear it. The author himself has disavowed this book, but I don't care. I don't care. I'm picking the Tommy Knockers by Stephen King. Oh. Which came out in 1987. <laughs> I read it. And the Tommy Knockers is a sort of a modern take on uh, the color out of space a little bit by H.P. Lovecraft, in a way, kind of a response to that. And Stephen King says he hates it. He calls it an awful book. But like I said, to me, it is fun and incredibly well-paced and interesting throughout, throughout the book. I absolutely adore this book. I've read it twice. And basically the plot is the small town in Maine in somebody's backyard, a UFO that's been buried for millennia gets uncovered. And the more it's uncovered, the more something emanated from it takes over the people of the town's personalities and turns them into members of the alien race that once occupied the UFO. Or maybe not, maybe they're surrogates. Anyway, their personality is twisted and their teeth start falling out and all sorts of messed up things start happening to them. They become incredibly good at using technology to build all sorts of gadgets. And it's definitely a fun popcorn book. And I'm going to go ahead and let everybody know that. There's nothing profound, really, about the Tommyknockers, but it is absolutely one of the most fun books I've ever read. It culminates in a laser gun battle that is <laughs> maybe... I remember that. 50 pages long of a long laser gun fight. And it is without a doubt the most fun I've ever read reading laser gun battle. And I know Stephen King is, a, I've read a lot of his books. I've read a lot of Stephen King books. I've probably yeah, read. Me too. That's where I started. 20, I of, 20, Stephen King. 20 of them or so, 25 of his books. And this is probably in my top five of all of his books. So 
his own opinion be damned and anybody who hates on it be damned. Read it again. Read it again. Uh, I dare you not to have fun. It's a fun one. I read it. I read it back a long time ago and it was really, it was crazy. Oh, well, that was good, dude. I'm so glad we got to talk. This was actually one of my favorite ones. Just, And I think you too, because there's nothing better than reflecting on some of these books that we've read that have made such, you know, it's one of the things, the thing about the novel that is so that I love about it is that you spend time with it. You know, it's like, if you're going to watch a movie, it's two hours. You can read a book over the course of a month. A lot of things can change about your life in a month, you know? And so you're growing with this book. It changes your perspective, changes how you're viewing the world. It just becomes a part of your psyche, you know? And, And there aren't many art forms that do that. I look at a painting. It's great. I dig it. Photography, all of that. There's nothing, even music. Music is amazing because it changes you just instantly. But the novel is this slow brewing thing inside your brain. Absolutely. uh, So fun to reflect on it. And now I want to go back and read some of these books that you've mentioned that I haven't thought of for a while. You know, I want to read some of these books that you recommended too. I'm not that, that book, The Power looks pretty interesting to me. And uh, I mean, pretty much everything the man unfolded himself. I'm so on that. (laughs) Guys, we obviously mentioned a lot of older books here and we'll try to probably do an episode like this maybe in a couple of months where we do some more modern recommendations. That's a great idea. I basically dwell in the, the history of the genre. You know, that's where my interest lies. So I really have a lot of catching up on these old books to do anyway. So if you guys can think of any books that we should read, you should definitely tell us, let us know. You could send us emails. You could DM us on our Instagrams. It's at Nick the Tooth and at Infinite Worlds Magazine. We'll try to put them on the ever-growing stack of books that get recommended to us. I <laughs> uh, know. It's awesome. I think we're both at, the, at an age now where it's pretty much determined that we'll be book readers for the rest of our lives, you know? Oh, yeah. I really enjoy it. I, right now, I am reading another Philip K. Dick book. I just bought that Ursula K. Le Guin book. I'm, that's my next step. And I just finished rereading Contact by Carl Sagan again. Love that book, man. That's such a fun, feel-good book. There's always something, you know? And I, I definitely want to read some more modern stuff too. So, you know, hook me up guys. Hook me up with the, the good recommendations. I have tooth up too. Yeah, I want to hear it. I'm re- You know what I'm reading right now? I'm not reading a sci-fi book. I'm, I went back and started reading The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. It was a uh, I'm not familiar. Pulitzer Prize winner a few years ago. It's really like two years ago, three years ago. It's really good. I dig okay. it. But, uh, you know, I've always got sci-fi on the, uh, on the back burner. So I'll take a break here and there from sci-fi. I'd read something that's not a sci-fi book and... I enjoy it when I do. When that happens, I'm like, this was, I'm glad I did this. But, uh, you know, I always go right back. I'm always like, okay. Of course. Of course. All right. Well, dude, that was a great one, man. I'm so stoked. Um, I look forward to uh, catching up again in a few weeks, man. And everybody, thank you so much for the comments. I'm getting a lot of people that are digging the podcast. Recommend it to friends. Subscribe. Follow us on Instagram. And uh, we'll see you in a few weeks.